1: songs I have casually mentioned, the fact that I like to drink beer This little song is more to the point Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears, I like beer It makes me a jolly good fellow I like beer It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's March 6, 2012. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's number 43. We're sponsored by GreatBrewers.com. Learn more about beer and the beer community on GreatBrewers.com and supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal. GoodBeerSeal.com. Well, here we are with Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery, Chris Cusme from New York City Home Brewers Guild, and Mary Isaac from Ale
2: Street News. Rastafari and mighty God. (laughs) All right, brother. Oh, wait, you told me this was religious studies.
3: (laughs) Well, it kind
1: of is. It kind
3: know? of is. <laughs> we <laughs> live in four deities, water, yeast, malt.
1: <laughs> the little the sub-theme tonight wow. could be homebrewers turned pro. That's true. But I think the real theme is, is it's Japan and Japanese Do you beer. have news? <laughs> 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 Well, cool. you heard it here, f-
2: here first, folks. <laughs> All
1: right. But we we had uh, Mr. Toshi Kiyuchi in town from uh, Hidichino Brewery, and he was last night at Jimmy's number 43. And today he spent the day with Garrett at uh, Brooklyn Brewery.
2: We had some fun, as we always do. I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, to getting back to Japan. In fact, uh, I don't know when Chris is going to Japan, but I know that he is. And I'm pre-jealous for whenever he does go. I don't even know what it is. I'm already pre-jealous. That's just the kind of the way I am about Japan. <laughs>
1: You Going to Japan? Uh,
3: not that I know of. Not yet. <laughs> you, you, yes, you, I mean, you, yes, I am. I you have been to Japan, is, have you? Be, I have, but only to the airport. Unfortunately, I'm mostly oh, I my Asia has all been China. You've been, uh, you've much been uh, less beer in China. You've been all over the world. I just assumed Japan, especially
2: as a it's, jazz, it's as a jazz guy. Yeah, it's definitely on my list for sure. Mary, have, have you been to Japan? Japan nope.
4: But no. it's also on my list.
1: Well, tell us about Japan, Garrett. You guys, does Brooklyn Brewery sell beer in Japan?
2: We do. In fact, uh, Japan was our, our first export market ever. Two years after we started, 1990, we started selling beer in Japan. So uh, we're the top exporting brewery in the United States now, which is kind of weird. Um, and Japan is not uh, among our very top markets. But it's uh, uh, it's cool. And it was great. Uh, you know, I mean, I think everybody has heard probably by now the story of... Uh, of our beer Sriracha Ace, well, when I went over there, I actually brought the Sirachi Hop back to Japan because it was originally developed in 1978 by the Sapporo Brewery. And actually, when I talked to the guys at Kyuchi, and they're better known to beer fans as Hitachi-no, and I never knew, you know, Hitachi is the area, and Hitachi-no is something from the area. So the Hitachi televisions and whatever else, same thing. It's just Hitachi-no. Nope. I, i'll I'll bet you didn't realize that that's a little know. fun nope. fact see i'm full of useless information um uh, but in any case uh i brought the sriracha hop back and they had never heard of it but they said to me and i loved this it stuck with me they said they said uh, uh sriracha sounds like a name from hokkaido <laughs> and it's sort of like a funny thing about language you know like it's like somebody saying to you clem that sounds like a uh, you know a name from the southwest or something like that you know, sirachi might sound japanese to us but to say it sounds like a name from hokkaido you kind of wonder okay what is it about it that sounds like a name from hokkaido but in tr- it, it's in fact true it's uh, uh an area of uh, hokkaido uh prefecture and so uh and they now brew their uh, uh their nipponia with it so that's cool
1: well that's great
2: so where where did you find the
1: sirachi hop
2: uh, I believe it was at the Craft Brewers Conference. Uh, uh, it was the same year that it was released commercially, so that was 2008. Uh, we used it 2009, um, which is only really a few months later, uh, to make, uh, 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 make Sirachi Ace as the brewmaster's reserve draft beer. Uh, we made bottles for ourselves on the side, as we usually do with most things, and we just got hooked on it. So you know, this past year, it became a permanent new beer for us. And it's only really being grown these days by one guy in Washington State, uh, Darren Gamash Family Farm, um, and so they're the only people in the world. People are trying to catch up with them, but the only people in the world right now commercially growing uh, Sriracha Ace. and there's only about 15 acres uh, on Earth producing right now. So wow. It's a well, going
1: day. back to what you said, so your Brooklyn Brewery is the largest exporter of beer.
2: It's kind of weird, you know, like where the uh, uh, we we export about we export about. More than ten percent of overall production goes overseas. The number two market for Brooklyn Brewery outside of New York City itself is in fact Sweden. Wow! <laughs> uh, uh, you know that is a it's a weird little fact. We spend a lot of time over there. Um, the uh, m- half of the people who work for Brooklyn Brewery have been to Sweden. The other half have been to Italy, and we, we and we've uh, done a bunch of stuff over there too. So. I actually leave Monday night. Uh, I will be in the UK, and then I'm going to Berlin for the first time in uh, in many years. So last time I was in Berlin, there we also went to East Berlin. So it's been a little while. So it's going to wow. be pretty interesting. I hear Berlin's very cool these days.
1: I, I, I hear it's cool, too. I'd love to go with you. But for Japan, do you actually export the beer from New York to Japan? Or do they well, actually, do have we, a partner that makes it? Yeah, we, you know,
2: we actually have uh, uh, and until we started brewing IPA in Italy – uh, uh, Toshuki and, and Kyuchi were the only people who were actually brewing for us outside the country under license. So, the first time when I went over there, you know, we brewed Brooklyn Lager. We brewed a beer called Sriracha Gold from the 11 pounds of Sriracha Ace hops that I brought with me. We used them in, in hopping and dry hopping for a little batch. And then uh, we brewed Brooklyn Lager. And so he's been doing that for about uh, two and a half years now. Uh, there is a chain of bars, believe it or not, you know, called. Uh, 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 you know that are they have a, have a Brooklyn theme to them, and the idea is like it's supposed to look kind of like a uh, a basement bar in Park Slope was the idea. I'm like, there's a lot of books in here for a basement bar in Park Slope, <laughs> you know. But okay, it's a pretty cool looking place, and uh, uh, you know, so that's uh, you know that that's that's very cool. But um, I just love uh, the aesthetics of the culture. I mean, great food, yeah, wonderful, wonderful sake. The beer writer and food writer uh, 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 Brian Harrell, you know, who's been there for thirty years, uh, took me around. And one night, I just said to him, "I want you to take me someplace that I would never, ever, ever, w- you know, find if I was a tourist, uh, and that even if I did, I wouldn't dare walk in, you know, <laughs> with food that I've never heard of before." And boy, we got some weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <That's awesome.
2: laughs> Is there a name that you can remember? Oh man, we had a we had we had a dish that's made from uh I didn't know that when you heat soy milk apparently it grows a it gets a skin on it kind of like regular milk does. And so they had a dish where they would get the soy milk to form this skin, then they would pull it off and it was sort of this slimy uh uh and then that would be served together with uh, 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 some fish or whatever else. It was actually pretty good, but you know there are the some special things there. guest gets the slime. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I I I you know I eat a lot of sushi Honor and guessed. a lot of you know things, a lot of ramen and stuff like that. But there's the stuff that doesn't really translate for Americans is the extreme slime factor. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, there are a lot of extremely slimy dishes there. But Skeegee Fish Market is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I don't know how many acres. I think it's. I don't know. It's been like fifteen acres uh, under roofs, so it's like one. It's a massive building, and it looks like the entire ocean has been emptied out, and there are a bunch of people running around. You know, cutting up all the fish in the entire world. Uh, unbelievable! Wow. So, what's the Japanese beer scene like? Japanese beer scene is highly curated. Um, uh, uh, there are some great bars. Um, the Japanese brewers themselves, uh, the beers they make are very high quality. Um, they're not perhaps generally speaking as uh, as creative say as the italians uh but their brewing skills are are much better uh so they're kind of they're they're, they're more restrained in some ways and they're focusing a little bit more on what they're doing um, i mean you don't get very many bad beers in japan unlike when you go to a lot of countries that are kind of just getting started in their craft brewing scene uh, you know, in Italy is making you know wonderful beers and horrible beers. Uh, you get a, you get a lot of great beers in Japan, but you don't get many horrible beers because nobody wants to step quite that far out there. I think it's a little bit of a cultural thing. Whereas in Italy, it's kind of like la bella figura. You know, a little bit of style is, uh, is you know might count more than uh, might count more than substance sometimes. So I'm stereotyping, but they're my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's go back to Mr. Kuchi. So this
1: is a special relationship. I didn't know, but I didn't know that that uh, Kochi Brewery was making Brooklyn Lager.
3: Yeah,
2: they're making Brooklyn Lager, and uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, we of course used to sell their beer, you know, because we used to be an, uh, 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 a distributor. So you know, we you know we sold the hot beers, and so it's been great to see uh, this flourishing of what's going on there. And there's a, there's a fascinating beer scene. There are a lot of uh, there are some Americans people or people who are sort of kind of were Americans <laughs> are uh, are working over there. There's uh, the history of brewing in Japan is actually fascinating because I obviously when I was working on the Oxford Companion to Beer, I was reading a lot of stuff when I was doing the uh, uh, the editing. And by I think it was the late you know by the late 1880s or so, the 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 main Japanese breweries that we know, Kirin, Asahi, Sapporo, they were all set up and they were set up by. Germans, they were set up by Americans, and uh, the first beer breweries there, sort of European style beer breweries, actually catered largely to, uh, to other Europeans and Americans who were working in Japan after the opening of Japan. So uh, it took a long time for beer to become the main thing in Japan, but there's one thing people don't know. Uh, uh, in Japan, the main drink by far, by a long, long shot, is beer. You know, it is not sake. Uh, you know, sake, people drink it, people, so he will like it. I love sake, uh, but sake is not the drink of Japan today. Um, you know, probably I would imagine that something like 70% of all the sort of alcoholic beverage drunk, uh, in Japan is, uh, uh is beer. And it's, uh, and pe- everybody talks about it all the time.
1: Wow so that's a great beer country
2: yeah it is a great beer country in many ways now you know they went through the same thing that we did kind of industrialization standardization um, they kept a few things like this interesting sideline in uh, in kind of Schwarzbier type styles because the Germans had been there uh, sometimes the same thing you see in China where you know Jingdao for example was set up as a monastery it was a, it was a German set up monastery and Jingdao started brewing because the Germans started brewing beer there. Um, so you see that story a lot, and the same thing happened there. So you see offshoots of Schwarzbier, you see uh, offshoots of Weissbier uh, as this stuff starts to come back. But uh, Kyuchi was among the first people to start brewing when Japan changed their laws and started to allow uh, small brewers. Uh, but they're a 150-year-old sake brewery, actually. That is what they—that's their main business. Uh, so many people who might drink their beer don't realize that this is you know a serious. And very old Sake Brewery. So uh,
1: I know a lot of brewers from around the world, when they come to New York, they go to the Mecca, they visit you at Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, What do you do? Like Toshi Koichi was with you today. Just walk around. Do you, like, stir pots? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, international beer, you know. Well, there's a lot more to do diplomacy. now than there was,
2: for, you know, than there was a, a year and a half ago. Because it used to be we just would take you into, like, you know, one or two rooms. And I'm like, that's it. And they'd be like, really? And we're like, really? Uh, now we kind of wrap around the block. So we're kind of... Uh, we start off tasting some stuff, then we kind of go through the whole brewing facility, then across the street to the re-fermentation rooms, then to the barrel room, then we go into the cold room. Usually, I grab a couple of special bottles, we come across the street and start <laughs> uh, and start tasting some things. So, and we got into talking about you know ideas for you know various collaborations and things that uh, uh, that we might do. I mean, uh, they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of very cool ideas, and I have no doubt of their ability to pull them off. So um you know i think that there's uh you know there's a lot of great opportunities there so far americans don't really necessarily know the japanese beer scene that well you know we know hitachino we know uh one or two uh uh, uh others maybe but you know it's uh, uh not m- not many of those beers come here so i think that that might be the next uh, cool wave the same way that we got the wave of italian beers four or five years ago we uh, you know we may well see a wave of uh, of Japanese beers come in. You know, by one importer at one point, and then suddenly we're going to have all this cool stuff.
1: I, I love the Hitachino beers. Uh, right now, we have in front of us the the real ginger ale, which to me is is kind of unusual.
2: Um, well, it ha- suggests to me that somewhere there is lurking the fake ginger,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and and that and that worries me.
1: When you approach it as a brewer, like let's we've got they've got the red rice ale, uh, the ginger beer, ginger ale. Um, you know, how do they work with those different ingredients? or what's unusual about these beers that Hitachino makes?
2: Well, I mean, uh, uh, you know, in the case of uh, the real ginger, it's that's almost like more of a it strikes me as a throwback to some uh, British stuff, uh, like the original ginger ales. You know, which we don't think of the fact that ginger ale was, in fact, an ale, you know, back in the days, uh, not a soft drink from uh, Canada Dry. Um, but, you
1: know, uh, this, uh, this beer, the Hitachi, I caught that one. Yeah. The Hitachi, you know, yeah, I, uh, the the real ginger ale. It actually tastes like ginger ale. Yeah,
2: no, yeah. And, 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 and it does. But, you know, um, we forget that was an alcoholic beverage at one time. So we've got that going on. But I, I'm actually, as much as I like that beer, uh, I'm much more fascinated by the Red Rice Ale, which, of course, you know, they're doing a number of beers that are incorporating uh, uh, sort of sake-making techniques, uh, sake yeast that produce these really interesting melony flavors and things like that. Um, and in that way, they're, you know, they're really creative. You know, it's very easy for people to say, oh, well, they've been around for a while and uh, everybody knows them or whatever. But, um They are, in fact, among they remain among the creative, you know, of the brewers. uh, uh, Even when you're over there checking out a lot of different, uh, thank you, a lot of different uh, Japanese breweries. So, um, you know, I love the aroma of this beer. I love the color, and 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 it depends on the light. You know, you kind of switch it this way, and it looks kind of golden. Then you hit the light in a different direction, and it's pretty red. Mm -hmm. It's kind of pinkish looking. Uh, the rice gives it uh, a, a real twinge of uh, you know kind of a racy acidity. How much r- rice is in this beer? You know what I, I I've actually for I knew that at one time and I've uh, and I've forgotten it, but it's a decent amount. And I know they do convert some of it into sugar uh, using the koji, you know the uh, uh, the uh, the mold that is used for. Um, you know, for breaking down the starch into, into, into sugar. So it's interesting that you had these two different technologies, if you like, of taking grain and converting it into sugar so you could ferment it. You could either malt it, you know, as we did uh, with barley, uh, uh, and then develop those enzymes, etc. Or in this case, and I don't know, this seems like a much harder way to do it to me. Like, but somebody at some point left some rice out, and it got moldy, and it got moldy and sweet. And maybe you know it rained on it or something, and then like the stuff starts fermenting. Who knows exactly how they discovered uh, 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 the sake making technique, but have uh, uh, basically preserved something that almost certainly was a matter of happenstance, you know, many thousands of years ago, and kept going with it. So this is, even though these places are called breweries. And sake is essentially a beer. I mean, people call it rice wine. It's not wine at all. You're not squeezing a fruit and getting a juice. You're taking grain with starch and converting it to sugar and fermenting it. That's beer. Or you can just say that it's just sake, but it's certainly uh, much closer to beer. Um, we don't know very much about it. I mean, not many of us do. Have you ever made sake, Chris? I have not.
4: I've made amazaki.
2: Ah, amazaki is a type of sake, right? With, uh, with a kind of a, a lactic fermentation as well.
4: Yeah, well, I, I used the... How do you pronounce it? Koji? Uh,
2: yeah, 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 Koji.
4: Yeah, so I used that, and it just went for... I think I fermented for maybe 24 to 48 hours at a higher temp, so I had to use a cooler to keep it warm. Right. Um, so it was a low alcohol, and then I, I pureed it to make more of a... Like a, an Amazaki shake than a porridge.
2: That That's that slime factor that we were talking about.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty yeah. tasty, though. Uh, you
2: know, tasty slime, yeah. <laughs> I I went to I went to a restaurant this one time and uh, uh, I got this stuff and I'm like looking at the sushi and whatever else and it said green mountain yam, and I'm like oh that sounds delicious I love yams, and I get this bowl of goo, and I put my spoon into it as I pull the spoon away filaments you know about a foot or more long are just stretching out of this bowl. You know, and I'm pulling it up a foot and a half, it's still connected, you know, between the spoon and the bowl, and I'm like, Oh no <laughs> Different
1: food culture, but they're and, making beers that we like. So yeah, yeah. the red rice they make they make it with rice. Now the ginger beer, what what do they do? How do you make ginger beer that's beer?
2: Uh you know what? I don't I am not sure of what their technique is. When we made the concoction last year, we had several different ways that we looked at doing it. Uh, and we actually steeped the beer, for fin- it had finished the fermentation, and we steeped it with minced ginger. And the thing about ginger is that ginger flavor oxidizes very quickly. Ooh. So if you make a ginger syrup or something, say you're a bartender, you want to like get ginger syrup, you can only hold on to it for about a week uh, at the most in the fridge. So uh, the, the thing is that ginger juice, for example, often has a caramelized, oxidized character I like ginger when it tastes fresh and has a little bit of a burn to it, which this does. So I I, kind of suspect that they're adding minced ginger, and I'm sure he told me at one point, but then we had a bunch of beers and uh, things went out the window.
4: Awesome. It it does say on the back, fresh ginger roots added to the brew kettle. I don't know if they do more than that. but
2: Okay, so in this case, then they have a a kettle addition, and they're getting that flavor out of the kettle addition, and then it's going through fermentation and... uh, 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 you know, and 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 coming and coming through. So it's uh, it's nice that they haven't uh, blown it all off. It's uh, it's a beautiful beer. Mm-hmm. Awesome, cool. Uh, we're going to take
1: a short break. We'll be back on Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network in a few minutes. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Garrett, you're so quiet tonight. All you hepcats are, (laughs) all those hepcats are swinging.
3: All right. 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 Well, we we
1: should say that uh, we're sponsored by GreatBrewers.com and supported by the Good Beer Seal, GoodBeerSeal.com. We've got Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery, Chris. Kuzme from Wandering Star. Hey, Wandering Star, and Mary
2: Isaac from Everything L Street News, My Life On Craft. Well, t- t- wait, 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 wait. You, you can just say from Wandering Star <laughs> and not tell us what Wandering Star is. Chris, tell us what Wandering
1: so, Star. Wait, so Garrett, is So, Gary you're saying this is from Homebrewer
3: to Probrewer? Chris Kuzme. Uh, 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 well, yeah,
2: I don't know yet. He's, he's going to I wouldn't me now.
3: say that I'm, I'm not. I'm, I go up and brew with Chris maybe once a month at, at best, but mainly I'm doing sales and marketing here in New York. Wandering Star is a new brewery we opened uh, on June 14th. Got got licensing in massachusetts from western massachusetts 15 barrel system and uh, we have nine beers out right now a couple of them being seasonal and we're just happy to be here
2: so this is the same uh this is the uh the brewery that alex hall is also working with are you doing all cask beers or do you have bottle stuff we we are not
3: bottling or canning yet we're just doing cask and keg um and we're only sending cask to accounts that we know are going to treat it right so you know we're being rather particular i love how canning is mentioned now
2: Yo, know, you are the 1st person. First, uh,
3: we're not bottling
2: or canning yet. This is not. This is not a phrase that anybody would have said uh, uh, even five years ago. Canning wouldn't have been mentioned. Uh, right. Interesting. Well, I think we we want to can. You know, when we get to that point of packaging, are you trying to be a meme?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> are you trying to uh, make canning into a meme? I'm gonna yes. do the. Uh, I'm gonna do a little uh, the honors here. Woo! So, what's this beer, Garrett? All right, we have a version. You guys have had uh, versions before. I'm not sure you've had this one. Uh, this is a version of the Crochet Rouge series. Uh, this is a series of beers which originates with our uh, local one, kind of Belgian, uh, uh, Belgian strong golden. Uh, and is aged on sediment from natural wine fermentations from our great friends at the Red Hook Winery uh, uh, in Red Hook, Brooklyn. And so uh, nine months on uh, on natural uh, wine lees. The lees are the sediment that. Now this in particular, you certainly had the Crochet Rouge Rosé. Which was on Lee's from Chardonnay and uh, Pinot Noir. This is the Riesling version. Oh. I haven't had this myself in like you know five or six months. Uh, I can
1: taste the Riesling.
2: Yeah, you yeah. really you you really can. You, you um, did
4: one of these with botrytis Riesling, is I, that correct? Yeah, and
2: that was the first one of them that okay. we ever did. Um, and that was like about two and a half years ago. This was about a year, a little more than a year ago. So this is a different one than you had before.
4: Okay. I've had, this is my fourth one, I think, and they're all delicious.
2: Well, I'm glad you like it. Um, we thought that the rosé version was a little bit um, more realized, a little bit uh, better married, etc. This one's a little bit bigger and more muscular mm-hmm. because riesling is a uh, you know, well, it's uh, it's a very teutonic grape. I'm just saying, it's trying to well take over a little bit. So this is a big tra- this
1: is a big trend now: aging beer in, in bourbon barrels, whiskey barrels. You're doing in wine barrels.
2: Well, no, the, 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 this is actually, these are whiskey barrels, but they're second use. So we're trying to reduce the influence of the barrel by not using a fresh barrel in this situation. We would like to have some barrel character, but not to have it out front. So as you can taste, it's got some sourness to it. Uh, if, as it warms up, you're going to get a lot of Brettanomyces funk from, you know, the natural yeast from the countryside. Now, we're overall working on is trying to grow up and uh, uh, and be able to re, uh, reuse actually an indigenous set of yeast. You know, this this brings up for me a lot of the beers that you you've made and other
1: brewers too who are on the cutting edge. Um, I feel like a lot of these beers could use some time before they go to market, and uh, I don't know if you guys have plans for that.
2: Well, this beer has forever be- before it goes to market because <laughs> 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 we can't make enough of it to uh, to market. But if you ever see one of uh, uh, that we've put out a uh, a thing that says that we're doing ghost bottle night, this is, that is your opportunity to taste these things. We call them ghost bottles. They're the, they're the beers that don't exist because so many go to of the
1: them. Brooklyn Brewery and taste yeah, we, these yeah.
2: Beers. <laughs> you know, look at look at BrooklynBrewery.com. dot com. You'll see that there are events you normally came and taste these beers. Uh, the, you know, we show up. This is what we bring to dinners and things like that. For example, this is really nice. I made this, uh, 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 and I made Oysters Rockefeller wow. and had this with it. And it was uh, kind of awesome. You know, a little bit acidic and some nice wine flavors. Well, I, I've been lucky to get, the reason I bring that up is that I've been lucky to get some of your
1: special kegs that have been held back. Like uh, last when you made the concoction last
2: year, I held back. When I was a child, that meant something completely different. Yeah. Well, what are you trying to say? I'm on the I'm on the lucky <laughs> team here, guys. I actually <laughs> yeah. I get specialty kegs all the time. From are you saying my beer
1: is special? What are you trying to say? <laughs> special, <laughs> you know. Listen, there's a woman on your staff. <laughs> he going, he hey guys. Going. There's Carla Villa. She works at Brooklyn Brewery. When she has some special kegs, she calls me up and I get them. And one of them was uh, you made the concoction last summer. Yes. And they had held back a couple of the kegs. And I got them around Christmas time. And and people, you could see the change, you know, in six months. Of oh how yeah. More complex it got. and I can see that with with the special bottling that you brought tonight. Well, in you know, a few years, ago, I want to say the, the the Schneider Weiss, Hopfen What was that beer that you did? The Schneider Hopfen Weiss thing.
3: Yeah, well, uh,
2: that's uh, that is the probably the best known of our you know collaborations. You know, it's one thing people don't know about us. We were the first brewery by a fairly long shot in the United States to do collaborative brewing with other breweries. Um, and so we started in the late '90s, uh, before it became, you know, fashionable. Well, I think it's cool that it's fashionable. Um, the The one that people know the best is the Hopfenweiss, which, of course, uh, Schneider still brews. And that was really an expression of the friendship between me and uh, Hans Peter Drexler, who's uh, uh, Schneider's brewer. And uh, like we usually last several years, we've ended up on vacation together at the same time in Italy. His family hangs out with my family. My brother teaches his kids how to play guitar, you know, so we're really tight. And so that beer—the first time I ever tasted Huffenweiss was actually uh, on the Italian coast with my family and his family overlooking the Mediterranean. Wow. Uh, uh, and that was a, and he—he he had re-fermented the beer in the back of his car while <laughs> on vacation in Corsica. That is a—that that is a—that you know, that that is a true story and and one that you couldn't possibly uh, uh, make. Well, up. that's
1: the experience I want because it was a couple years ago. One of those beers that your collaboration with Schneider. Uh, we, we again, there have been some kegs that have been stashed on the side, and I got a year old version
2: it ages well yeah. much, much better than you would think The uh, it, it, uh, uh it, it gains a real tropical uh uh fruit sort of character to it and what 's interesting is the serendipity of beers i mean uh as a brewer, I tend to be well we t- we 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 have some rigidity to us we have ideas we have intentions um and when you taste a beer and it's older than you ever really thought of it being. Uh, you made a draft beer and then you know it was gone. And then somebody brings it back a year later and you're like, oh, maybe it has a twinge of acidity. Oh, maybe it's gone this way. Maybe it's gone that way. And it's taken me a long time to kind of let go of my idea of what I thought it was supposed to be when it was fresh and let it be what it is when it's old. And if it tastes nice, uh, be fine with it. And that takes a certain kind of mindset that that winemakers are are used to. And I think what's fascinating to me is like you know Chris is just getting started in creating these beers. They're available you know in kegs, and you're going to be dealing with this real soon. Now maybe you've dealt with it with your home brewed beers that like have you know gone in a different direction than you expected. Right. But now it's different when you're selling beer to people, <laughs> and when you walk into a bar. And it's like, it's almost like hearing somebody do a cover of your song, you know, or a weird cover or even even better than that, like there was some, uh, I don't know, some board mix that you never thought was going to make it out in public. And you're right. like, okay, it's not <laughs> it's what I life. wanted them to hear. It's, it's cool. Yeah, it's actually really live and it sounds great, but um, I didn't intend it. So, uh, I mean, have you... Have you been out there long enough to kind of see beers start to uh, evolve as they inevitably do
3: uh, in directions that maybe you wouldn't even have expected? Absolutely. I mean, we did it. We did a summer beer that was really light. and It was called the Alpha Pale Ale. It was a it was a really light four point four percent alcohol beer, and it showed up around uh, I think November, um, and <laughs> yeah. we saw it in November, like one of the last kegs, and it just changed. I thought to the worst, but other people seemed to like it a lot, but you know, it wasn't what we wanted it to represent. Well, the, the reason I'm bringing this, I'm
1: trying to urge <laughs> brewers to to hold back some of their beers because like like a complex beer like your concoction or um, you know, a lot of other breweries are doing like these 10% beers that have a little extra sugar in them. And they're really intense, but I'm like, gosh, I feel like in one year, those beers would be so much better. And, you know, for us in the supply chain, it goes, you guys, everyone's moving beer. It goes, brewery, distributor, bar, I mean, nobody wants to hold on to it.
2: Well, what's hard is, you know, it's hard. There's two parts that are hard. There's like, a, a, you know, for the, the distributor does, definitely doesn't want to hold on to beer because they've paid for it already. And if you wait for two years and you've paid for it, uh, that's a rather a lot of money you might have tied up in that stock. Uh, the brewer has to really think hard to hold on to beer because almost everything that we're creating, everybody wants all of it. So what you basically have to do is hold on to beer that somebody wants to give money to you for right now. So you've got, say, it's black chocolate stout. You have 150 cases sitting there. You have orders for it, and you're saying no. Like, I have it, and I'm not going to sell it. That is not the natural way of business. You know, We don't think that way. The beer has been released. So, of course, if the beer has been released, you should be able to buy it. Well, you know, and we've had a couple of incidents at the brewery where we sold more of a particular beer than I wanted to, and we don't have a policy of saying how much of each thing we hold on to, but we know we have to have, like, a deep sort of back bench because when it comes time to kind of do special events and whatever else, if you sell everything, then you have nothing, and you are really dependent upon the retailer uh, 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 or the bar or the restaurant to hold on to beer for you. And many of them do. They do a great job. They have wonderful things. I remember in the old days of Blind Tiger, you know, back in the old Blind Tiger, we did a, an event called, it was called Three-Headed Monster, our Monster Ale uh, barley wine. They had three years of it. I happened to have two other years, <laughs> earlier years, and I, didn't, I never knew what, what am I going to do with these ancient kegs you know, from the late 90s. So we turned it into the five-headed monster. You know, we kind of made it into this flight on draft of five years of this barley wine. So it's very cool when, in many cases, we can do events that the, uh, uh, the bar uh, uh, has held on to some stuff. And then we have other stuff. But you know it's hard to hold on to beer. It really is. I mean, you know, I'm sure you're learning it now. <laughs> like, you know, how much how much vintage stuff do you have waiting around? It's like, you know, people okay. are buying your stuff. You're like, okay, have some. Yeah. You know, but I'm, I'm telling you, if you're not doing it, you know, local too. You know, our beer local too. I mean, we have the original test bottlings of local one. We really haven't held on to Local 2, and we've been brewing it now for three years. It's just, you know, you're you're in it every day, and you're brewing, 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 brewing. You're getting the beer, you know, done. The beer tasting nice. Now, you don't say to yourself, okay, let's set this aside, and then we will drink it in two years. <laughs> yeah, and so... So
1: it's tough. So it's, it's hit or miss. You might get lucky. You might not sell something you might
2: hold something well that's the other thing it it might actually not be good in two years (laughs) so there's somebody who wants to give you money for it right now it's like no no no, no. wait until it oh it's spoiled you know like in in two or three years you 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 just don't know you're taking uh you're you're taking a risk so uh uh it's uh it's interesting we're trying to think hard about it one thing that i would love to do is i want to make you know, a, a massive barley wine in the old Thomas Hardy style mm. that is so big that really you can't drink it for two or three years. I mean, really, just forget about it. Um, and that's really hard to do because you just know that you just have to set it aside. And you're like, when I'm this age, you're like, ooh, whatever. You know, Take t- t- you know, t- whatever age you are and add three years. You know, just so not, that, you know in it's that not, case. It's not good. You, you, you're gonna do
1: something special, like a bo- uh, uh,
2: just a bottling of it. Yeah, I mean yeah, uh, we just bo- we would just bottle it I and mean, maybe keg some of it and literally put it away for 3 years and try not to think about it. It's not it's not the way we think. Uh, uh, but increasingly uh, 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 we're trying to think that way and it's a thing that beer forgot you know, beer forgot many things, and one of the things that forgot is the whole idea of vintage beers. And it used to be common, and now it's not. I mean, it's coming back. Well, I,
1: I've, the reason I brought this up, it's been on, it's been on the tip of my tongue for months because, you know, every time I get whether it's a year old, you know, Brooklyn Schneider collaboration or it's concoction six months later, or, or recently it was uh, last summer I got uh, a bunch of the Ridgeway. Uh, oh, yeah. 2010 holiday beers I didn't get into the summer And I said Well I'm going to hold them Until November And and there's definitely Something else that happens When you age Really good beers And we can talk more about this In other shows But it's definitely put put it out there That people should think You know what A lot of the beers Especially over 8% Wouldn't hurt from A little more time yep, but- And uh, so- someone has to figure out Whether I have a feeling That there will be some Retailers that are That are bigger that'll probably step up and say, we're going to start doing a...
2: Well, you know, you know Gramercy Tavern was, uh, was very early in this whole thing. The first serious restaurant that I'm aware of in the United States who established a vintage beer program uh, where, I mean, for five or six years now, they've had a vintage beer list. Now, the first vintage beer list, you know, uh, uh, you know, that I saw before that, it could be that Higgins in Portland, Oregon may have had one earlier. Uh, because they they have they, they, been you know serious about it for a long time, but that's still kind of a killer list. You can go there and get like uh, Gail's Prize Old Ale, like nineteen ninety seven, and wow. stuff like that, and that's very cool stuff to be able to get in a restaurant. No,
1: mm-hmm. well, that's great, and that's the future. But let's uh, we're going to just uh, start tasting some cheeses here. Sax will be cheesemonger sent us two different cheeses from Vermont, and we're going to start eating these and and coming up with some pairings. We'll be back on Beer Sessions Radio.
3: That's that the last place my baby stays
1: Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It's a pretty cool place. What do you think of the food out here, Garrett?
2: Oh, food's excellent. You know, Roberta's is known uh, uh, far and wide, and uh, you know they've got. Uh, it's 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 getting to springtime. They've got a big garden going on. They're going to start growing a lot of ingredients that are going to end up on pizzas and things like that. Maybe even in some beers. We have got some conversations to have here, so we'll uh, we'll kind of see what happens. We've got some cheese in front of us and. What I love about beer and cheese together is that you kind of have the staff of life here. Um, you know, this, the, these, are, these are two of the most ancient foods in the world, beer and, uh, and, and cheese, and they grew up together on farms and, in most cases in the world, far away from uh, you know, the things that people think about, like, like wine. Now, if you, uh, if you read wine books, you actually find that uh, uh, wine and cheese together, according to wine experts, kind of tough. Uh, compared to beer so is that really what they say that Mm -hmm. is what they say you know so you know some of them try you know here's the thing that people don't know take a big winery like robert mondavi they have an entire team of people whose job it is to figure out what dishes taste best with mondavi wines they have a team of chefs like 15 16 people a whole department and they are working on cooking 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 because they do hundreds of events a year and what do they want they want food that tastes good that does not make mandavi wine taste bad and hopefully makes it taste better and they have people to do this so i'm talking to you bigger craft brewers bigger than us you know you guys got some really nice beers you know the the, the bigger guys in the world we're trying to get there but i think somebody needs to establish you know a team of chefs uh, uh to work on craft beer and food parents I'm just saying cheese uh, we always win
3: mm-hmm.
2: that, that's just kind of the way it is I, I, I do competitions versus uh, sommeliers all the time wine versus beer with cheese we call it a cheese war a cheese war uh, in front of an audience iron chef style and uh, you know the question is well I lop off both of the other person's arms and then run them through. Or will it really be a fight? You know, good. You know, good. Really great. Some las give you a great fight. You know, and uh, I. I remember all. I remember every single round that I ever lost.
1: So uh, Chris and Mary have done a lot of uh, beer and food pairings. And what have what have been some of your favorites that you've done? Because you're probably you know, some you know, in New York area. You guys are, have done a lot. You have more experience than most people.
2: As as Chris's agent, I really resent
3: this ambush. <laughs> <laughs> well, but my favorites have definitely been the bacon, chocolate, mm-hmm. and beer combos. Like we, when we do our pairings, we always, you know, we pick with a, a, a theme. Um, but generally, we always have three things involved because it's really fun to play off not just pairing; it's a, a trilogy of things. Because you, where you jump off from these three different places it can always affect. What's going on? And my favorites, of course, bacon and chocolate is awesome. Bacon and so
2: chocolate and beer, isn't that like cheating? I mean, like, you, know, like, <laughs> like, so you, you, you kind of pan- you know, like, how, how do you go wrong? Are you taking any chances it there? It's so gluttonous that, yes, I, I do. And our ice cream
4: and beer pairings were fun. Oh,
3: those have been great, yeah.
2: Well, you know, let's talk about our two cheeses here for a minute. Uh, 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 you know, people know uh, uh, Ms. Saxelby. And her and her wonderful. Uh, Satsuki the cheesemonger's mm-hmm. S mark. Yes. So uh, do we have the Tarantese here? I don't. Uh, I you know I, I have tasted it before, but I don't know it that specifically. But I know the overall style. Uh, a cow's milk uh, Gruyère style style cheese, uh, uh, cooked curd. Um, I think this is technically washed rind. I think uh, you can actually see the lines of where the cheesecloth. Uh, was on it i think that it is actually a brined cheese but unlike other washed rind cheeses it doesn't funkify from the outside you in and sort of melt. Rather, it kind of oxidizes and dries. And, we're all and, drinking and cheese right now. Yeah, we're so beer. sorry. You know, we just okay. can't eating cheese. You and know, drinking you beer. know, very soon we're going to learn how to transmit cheese over radio wires. So I I radio waves. A, you, can you can download this cheese here. Download this cheese. And Sax will be show is every Monday at five thirty. Cutting the <laughs> curd. Cutting the curd. Cutting the, <laughs> sorry, cutting the sorry, curd. Sorry, had to do that. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I, I I didn't even know that. I have to listen to her uh, Well, you know, without
1: Ann, we would check out Edible Manhattan this month. Without Ann, we would not have American Farm. Said cheese, and I believe that. She introduced me to it, and I'm very proud to know her. Mm-hmm.
3: And, I, I thought uh, you meant the United <laughs> <laughs> States would not have it. I was
1: like, wow, she's even cooler than I thought. <laughs> she is, man. Come on.
3: <laughs> she is cooler she's than we all great. Think. But pass the cheese
1: around. <laughs> Garrett's
2: hogging the cheese.
3: Just I, so you I, I, I am hogging He's got the all
1: cheese. the cheese. He takes little bites no, at a time. No, I'm, ta- I'm talking. I'm talking at <laughs> the same time. Look.
2: I'm taking little bites at a time. I'm trying to keep things together. <laughs> and his his buddy
1: Foster is the, the buyer at uh, Murray's Cheese, which and, is and, where Ann started. Yeah, he will join us soon. And he's. um. So you know a lot about food, man. I, 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 I love that. We made a point when Garrett's on now, we're bringing on food. So last week it was chocolate. This it, week it's, it's M. I, cheese. It's
2: in my rider, uh, and I don't know. Where Where, 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 where are the green M&Ms?
3: <laughs> you know,
2: yeah, peeled grapes? I don't know. You guys are falling behind. You used to be, like, really good. but.
1: So you're saying you're not an expert that it's just so easy to pair cheese and beer
2: that... Anyone can do no, it. Well, actually, that's not true because you know th- th- these are par- quite parable cheeses. Uh, mm-hmm. And what is the other one? Uh, uh? One's a valley shepherd, yes, which valley is shepherd. cow and sheep milk. So, it's a, so that's, a, that's a, a, a milk blend. And the uh, other one it is has, it, it is much sharpish. Well, the thing is that the Gruyère style right here, Gruyers are known for being kind of nutty and fruity and grassy, and they'll change through the years depending upon, uh, through the year depending upon when. You're getting the milk. If you're getting the milk in the spring, you're, getting, you're going to get the flowers, uh, the flowers of springtime. You're going to get fresh shoots. Uh, during the winter, the cows are being fed on silage. They're getting hay, etc. and it's going to change your milk. It's going to change your cheese, and these cheeses are going to change uh, throughout the year. They tend to have a grainy, a slightly grainy texture to them rather than being creamy, uh, uh and uh, they'll age out uh, uh, really nicely. And the best of them, like, say, Rolf Bieler, um, you know, but this is a beautiful cheese as well, are going to be really super intense. They start slow and they become really explosive. And what's fascinating for me is that American cheese is paralleling American beer. It starts with uh, European traditions that are being riffed upon and then blown up. Uh, by American cheesemakers, and I think over the next uh, ten years or so, you're going to see basically uh, situations where so many American cheeses are going to surpass the uh, uh, the European counterparts. So, Garrett,
1: counterparts. of of the beers that we've had so far, we've had a couple of Hitachino, we had your specialty bottling, we have this very unusual uh, Fritz Bream Groot. Which of these do you think goes best with the
2: cheeses in front of us? Well, see, that's what I've th- been trying to avoid all this time. <laughs> I'd say it's yours. Uh, um, well, I think that there you know, there are things that... I think that uh, 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 the Crochet Roots can work. I think what you really want, and we don't have on the table at this very moment, uh, for both of these cheeses, are kind of richer, maltier mm-hmm. beers with some caramelized flavors and some nutty flavors. For example, brown owls tend to work really well with a lot of sheep's milk cheeses because sheep's milk has this kind of nutty flavor to it. Yep. The Gruyere... Uh, the tarentaise has a little bit of what's called lipase character it's a, it's it, it 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 uh it it's beautiful by itself as a cheese but it's a little bit of a live wire so you got to you got to play with it a little bit and find what's going to match up with it
1: mary what what would be some examples of brown ale that would go well with this cheese
4: <clears throat> i don't think you'd want too hoppy would you agree
2: i would agree uh, i think that you know, that's like the, an
4: english brown ale
2: exactly that's the, that's the specific live wire brands. Part. specific brands specific brands as 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 your attorney.
4: Oh wait, wait hey, <laughs> does it make Brooklyn make a brown ale oh, that's a with brown English ale. hops?
2: Oh, good of you to mention it. <laughs> I, I I think that uh, that a lot from, 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 from Avery. Yeah. There's Ellie's brown ale from uh, Smunny Nose, mm-hmm. uh, uh, old brown dog. Either one of these would be really good. Uh, I think even working at the Porter's, you know, could mm-hmm. be uh, could be really nice. And the sharpness of uh, uh you know of our other cheese. You know the shepherd is uh, is really almost cheddarish. I think this could work with IPAs, and I, I you yeah. know I I like IPAs with sharper cheeses. Is that a tough pairing IPA and food? Uh, I don't think it is. No, uh, I, I I love IPA with spicy food. I love the character, the citrusy character of uh uh of uh, of American hops working with the citrus character that's in Thai food because they're adding lime and lemon juice. Uh. uh it can even work with things that you don't expect, like ceviche, where you're thinking, okay, it's fish and it's acid, but then those uh, uh, those citrusy things kind of work together. So I, I think I think IPA can be, uh, uh, if they're balanced, uh, you know, in any way, can be uh, can be great food beers. I'm going tonight, uh, uh, in a couple of hours, to uh, uh, Chef Floyd Cardoza's new restaurant, North End Grill. Uh, he was the chef at Tabla, Danny Meyer's uh, Indian restaurant which unfortunately closed a little over a, a year ago uh, uh, after a, a, a brilliant 12-year run. And now uh, Floyd is back. He's originally from Goa uh, in India, which is a fascinating area uh, with a distinct food culture uh, born of not only local traditions, but also the, uh, the Portuguese uh, 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 sort of well, uh, colonization of that area, which is really different than the rest of India. So that area was Catholic. vindaloo and things like that were based on pork. And Floyd is a genius of spice. So in my car, I have uh, I have three bottles of our Blast Barley Wine. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not Barley Wine, IPA, that I'm going to uh, give to the kitchen. But I think that that, that beer is going to be really nice with his uh, What you know, was the beer, beer that
1: you made with him that had all the spices in it?
2: It was called Cuvée de Cardos. That was it. It was, oh, nice. was, it. Yeah. It was actually uh, kind of based on Belgian wit beer, but a stronger version at about 8%. And instead of doing... Uh, curacao, orange peel, and coriander. You know, we did a blend of uh, 12 different Indian spices. Now, I see some faces here, you know, among the people. See, here's the thing about cheese. Wait,
1: wait, it's not yeah. like that. It's something, it's Mary's uh, homebrew from last year, and she's okay. happy with it. But let's, I want to backpedal, because I want to go back to... <laughs> as, as your attorney. <laughs> okay, listen. Beer and, beer and no, food no. pairings. Gary you have to listen. Beer and food pairings. When I, when I was first getting into it, I always thought, in, in a pinch, I would go with German beers. Because I felt that they were, by their nature, so food friendly. You know, someone brought in, oh, I've got wild Alaskan salmon. What would you pair? I'd say, well. You are calling them simple. <laughs> you are saying they're very simple. And they go with German wheat
2: to beer. No, but it's yep. not
1: true. They can be wild, too. So, <laughs> this is, you know, I'm trying to give you guys a riff. Come yep. on. You guys, and please criticize me. I think that German beer. Especially wheat beers pair very well with food. Oh, absolutely! And in, just by their nature, they're good food beers. Well, Mary, see, see, she, well, that's she, she's a blanket beer. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting
2: this out there. What do you got in this bottle? It's looking at us. You know, there are faces going around. What, 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 what was it meant to be? So it's and a what sour is it today.
4: <clears throat> so, and and I have on here 9 two thousand eleven, but it was bottled a year and a half ago. I know you must twelve nine two thousand ten. So this is one of my first sours that I made. Um, I, I've cultured yeast from bottles, so probably I do it at parties, so this m- might be a cuvated calcium from Captain Lawrence, maybe some Russian River yeast.
2: Wait, you do it at parties? Yep. So, so <laughs> okay, there's right. a part, there's a part, there's a party going on, and you you are removing yeast from bottles that people have
1: maybe. at parties.
2: Yes, I'll say this. I tried this. She made a sour.
1: I tried April of 2010 last year. La- yeah, it was really bad, great. Right. It was fresh. I liked it. Now it's almost a year later, it's kind of funked out. Yeah. So. That's okay. That's the nature of you know homebrew and experimentation. So, so it's the last Absolutely, bottle it, it? it is. This <laughs> is the last, last existing
4: bottle. bottle.
1: Let yeah. Garrett taste it. Uh. I, his, <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> want to see his face. You make. I want his face. Is there any slime involved? Because no, no, no slime. You know, it says on my rider that I can't have any slime. Garrett, I guess what's missing from Mary's, you know, over the hill sour beer is slime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to no, move no, into do, the slime do, uh, beer do,
4: category. Do
2: not laugh. <laughs> In, when, when you are creating sour beers, there is often, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there is often a phase of uh, sour beer production, which is a the ropey phase, the slimy phase, the pectinatus phase, and you have to wait for that to go away. Okay.
1: Mr. Garrett Oliver, last serious question before we close up. Okay. If you went to Japan and you went to the Kuchi Brewery Hitachino, when you were going to make a beer with Mr. Kaiuchi our friend, what would you like to make?
2: First of all, I kind of like Mary's beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, second of all, what I would like to make you know, is uh, I was talking to him about whether or not there are sakes that are made with completely natural uh, yeasts and mold, et cetera, from out of the air as opposed to adding cultures. I suspect that there have to be. Um, and what I would like to do, then, is use those cultures without laboratory yeasts and molds, grow those, and use them to, uh, to create uh, new flavors in beers, maybe aging in sake casks with lees from sakes uh, that are naturally fermented. So it would be a riff on this idea of Crochet Rouge, but the lees, and we're, we've already done this at the brewery. Uh, one of my brewers, Dan Moss, has made sake, uh, uh, Yamazaki, And we tried aging some local one out on the sake leaves. Now, so far, we're kind of like, "Eh, we're not sure. But there are all kinds of things like this that uh, that we can do. Maybe blended leaves from here and leaves from there. Awesome. All
1: right, we're going to have to close out, but first, Heritage Radio Network salutes the shows that have reached the 100-episode mark. That includes Beer Sessions Radio, so we're all combining forces. We're having a big party on March 21st at Santos Party House, downtown New York City. There will be, in these orders, it sounds like a classic beer beer and food pairing. There's cheese, chocolates, charcuterie, and cooking. (laughs) That's what we've made up. It's going to be a great party. Check out heritageradionetwork.com. There's a little... Ticket link. It's $50 a person. Awesome night. And featuring some great craft beers and artisanal spirits from the whole region. It's going to be an awesome night out. Many of the hosts, like Ann Saxby, Patrick Martins, Hey, Jimmy Carboni will be there. So. Hey, hey right. why not? Hey. So com. check out our party March 21st. We're going to take a, the new era in Heritage Radio Network is special events. And we'll all be there. And Good Bruce events, check out March 7th, the Double Windsor, one of our Good Bruce Seal bars. It's having a great night with Captain Lawrence, Kelso, and Allagash. And starting March 10th, Mugs Ale House, it's one of the best beer events of the year. The Mugs is annual, New York City Split Thy Skull Strong Ale Festival. Have you been to that, Garrett? Ever?
2: I have, and those who come to scoff shall remain to pray.
1: Yeah, Mugs dot And then again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, GreatBrewers.com. Thanks to you guys, they're renewing again. It's another year with GreatBrewers.com. Beer Sessions Radio is also sponsored by goodbeerseal.com. Thanks to Garrett, Chris, and Mary for joining me here tonight on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Insley, Brio O'Connor, and guest coordinator, Brett Thompson. We'll see you next week on Beer Sessions Radio. Cheers. Good night and you. This little song is more to the point Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer.